this morning, I would encourage you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1. We'll be looking at some verses there in just a moment. We're glad you're here. Beautiful singing today. I give GIF an A plus on leading our singing, and I give him an A on the haircut and the beard trim too. I, th- I think that looks good as well. It's just a joy to be able to welcome each of you to our services. I know we have several who are out of town on vacation and this is the time when a lot of folks are traveling and we'll be missing several folks I guess throughout the next uh, month and a half but we're always thrilled to have visitors and today we have several who are our honored guests and we want you to know how glad we are that you're here. And we don't want you to rush off too quickly after we're dismissed, but give us a chance today to express our appreciation to you for coming, and and we certainly hope that you'll want to come back and be with us any time that you have an opportunity. Have some good news to pass along to you today. Uh, Curly and Debbie Turner were married 40 years yesterday, and so that's good news. They've still got a ways to go to 50, but they're certainly heading in the right direction. Also, uh, James and Lindsay Wynn are expecting little Easton Wynn, a uh, baby boy. We certainly want to congratulate them and the grandparents, and uh, we're certainly looking forward to that. And it's good today to have Justin and Cassie Boyd and little Jackson Seth is here for the very first time. And, of course, they're sitting in their usual place. And, you know, Justin said, Doug, do you mind giving your little speech? And, of course, I don't mind giving that speech at all. I'm speaking for the mother right now, strictly the mother. Please don't touch. Please look at a distance and admire, but don't touch the baby. You know, that's just how a mother feels, and uh, I think we're all going to respect that anyway, but I do want to pass that along to you. He hasn't been out of the hospital for very long, but we're so glad to to see them with us today. You know, I hear babies crying uh, numerous times during our assembly, and the word that comes to my mind when I hear those babies cry is the word blessing. It's a blessing to hear these babies cry. And uh, I hope that we're going to have continued crying uh, like that for some time to come. We love the babies that we have here and the young parents. I'm especially encouraged by who you are and the way that you're going to bring up those children. We have some more good news to pass along to you today. We're happy to announce that Cody and Hallie Poe, P-O-E, are placing their membership with us. I'd like to ask Cody and Hallie to stand. She's not liking that too much right now, but they have to do it anyway. Of course, Hallie was, uh, y'all can sit down now. (laughs) Hallie was Holly's roommate uh, at Freed Hardeman, and so we're glad to have them in our area, and uh, Cody will be starting law school in August at Jones School of Law, so we want to give them a very warm welcome. This morning, our lesson is simply entitled, Formed for a Purpose. If you turn with me to the book of Jeremiah chapter 1, I hope you've turned there with me already, beginning in verse 4. The Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, that is Jeremiah saying, 
Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. The Country Gazette in Franklin, Massachusetts, published the following listing in the classified section. It said, unknown item for sale. We know it's valuable, we just don't know what it is. If you can identify it, we will sell it for $250. Now, isn't that interesting? The owners had no idea really what it was and Yet they knew that this particular item would be of value to someone that might know what the purpose was. You know, we live in a world, I think, today as well that is often blind to the value of human life. We live in a world today that often struggles with what the purpose of life really is all about. You know, God teaches us that we have great value. And even though man may not appreciate that value and they may not appreciate the purpose of human life, it doesn't change the fact that human life is very valuable. I want you to think about this question this morning. What is your true purpose in this life? Why are you here? How you answer that question is very, very important. What is your purpose in this life? Over in Psalms chapter 139 and verse 13, David said, For you have possessed my reins. That is, you have formed my innermost parts. You have knit me together in my mother's womb. May I suggest to you today that the Bible teaches very strongly that all human life has value. From the severely handicapped baby to the severely handicapped adult and Everyone in between, all human beings are important. All human beings can fulfill some important role in the hand of God. Now, that's far different from what naturalists and evolutionists teach us today. An evolutionist today would say that a human life and the life of an animal is basically the same. 
Evolutionists would even go so far as to say that an animal has more value than does a handicapped child or a handicapped adult. And yet, Jeremiah was told here, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. Before you came forth from the womb, I sanctified you and I appointed you a prophet to the nations. You see, God reminded Jeremiah before he had even been developed, before he was born, that God had a purpose for his life. Now that's contrary today to the worldview that sees no good purpose for the life of a human being prior to his or her birth. In fact, in the view of some, one doesn't even begin to experience human life until after one has been born. And even then, one can only have a meaningful purpose if he's able to contribute something that others deem to be important. That's why today so many people resist referring to an unborn child as a human being. That's why many people prefer the term fetus, a collection of tissue that can be tossed away if if it possesses some kind of inconvenience upon the one that is carrying it in her womb. However, we need to realize that science has begun to change some views regarding life in the womb. You know, new scanning techniques that are out there known as 3D and 4D scanning have revealed some amazing pictures of babies inside the womb. These pictures offer new insight into an unborn child's behavior. These techniques have captured images of so-called fetuses yawning and blinking and sucking their thumbs. They even seem to smile and cry and even can move their limbs at a very young age. And these new scientific breakthroughs have caused many to begin to question beliefs regarding life in the womb. There was a photographer named Michael Clancy. Once he was a devout, pro-choice advocate. He believed staunchly in a woman's right to choose and in the freedom of abortion. But he quickly changed his mind to being pro-life when he filmed the operation of a 14-week-old fetus named Samuel Armas. Now, Samuel was being operated on inside his mother's womb to correct a condition known as spina bifida. That's just amazing to me that technology has developed to that point where a doctor can go inside a mother's womb and do that kind of an operation on an infant. 
Well, this photographer, Michael Clancy, was covering this particular story. And just as the doctor was closing the womb, this little child's hand reached out and grabbed the doctor's finger. Clancy said it was this action by a 14-week-old fetus that made him realize that this was indeed a child. However, some pro-abortion advocates have even gone further in their assessment of how to define human life. They've argued that, you know, if a child faces the potential of deformity or social hardship, then the parents should seriously consider aborting the child. Or if the child has the prospect of growing up physically or socially impaired, abortion rights advocates would point out that these factors are good reasons for a fetus to be torn from the womb. And they reason that, you know, such a child would not have a good chance to have a good life. And such a child would have no real value in this world. Now, one individual put together a series of examples of how this thinking might play out. And think along with me this morning. This is case number one. There's a preacher and his wife that are very, very poor. They already have 14 children, and she finds out that she's pregnant with the 15th. They're living in tremendous poverty, and you consider their poverty and the excessive world population. Wouldn't you consider recommending an abortion in that situation? Well, a lot of people in our society probably would recommend an abortion in that particular case. But this particular child grew up to be John Wesley, a great composer of hymns in the 19th century. Or consider case number two. The father is very sick with a bad cold. The mother has tuberculosis. They have four children. The first child is blind. The second one died. The third is dead. I should say the third is deaf. The fourth has tuberculosis. And she finds out that she's pregnant again. Now, given their extreme situation, would you not consider having an abortion? One child's blind, one child's deaf, one child has tuberculosis, one child has died. It ought to be obvious that that individual should have an abortion. And yet this mother's fifth child was named Beethoven. Or consider case number three, and perhaps a lot of us today in this society, this is more common than we think. Here's a teenage girl, and she gets pregnant. She's not married, and her fiancé is not even the father of the baby. Sounds like something you might see or hear about on one of these talk shows, right? 
You know, who is going to be the father of the baby? Now, in that kind of situation, here's a teenage girl that's expecting a baby. The fiancé is not even the father of the baby. Wouldn't you consider an abortion in that case? But you might recognize this child as the son of Mary from Nazareth, Jesus Christ. You see, folks, every child has value. Every child can fulfill a purpose regardless of their mental or physical capabilities. We need to realize today that every child can do great things from God. And sometimes that purpose may not be realized until later on in life. For example, you turn over to John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. We find a very interesting account here. The Bible says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And the disciples asked Jesus, saying, Master, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You know, that was a common belief back in that particular day and time. You know, if a child had some kind of infirmity such as blindness, either his parents must have done something wrong or the child itself has done something wrong. But Jesus made it clear here. He answered, neither this man has sinned nor has his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. For the night comes when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when Jesus had thus spoken, he spat on the ground. He made clay of the spittle. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he went his way therefore and he washed and he came back seeing. Now, could you imagine being this young man's parents? Can you imagine having a child back in this day and time? The child is born blind. You know, what great purpose could a blind child possibly serve, particularly in this time when medical treatments were so primitive? And yet Jesus reminds his disciples and he reminds us as well right here that this man's blindness had a purpose that God could use to bring glory to himself. And that's exactly the way it is with God. God can use our weaknesses. God can use our infirmities. God can use us in spite of our flaws, in spite of our shortcomings, and he can use us to demonstrate his strength. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, for we, you and me, we are his workmanship, created in Jesus Christ Unto good works, which God has foreordained that we should walk in them. Folks, you need to realize today, whether you're young, 
whether you're middle-aged or in the sunset years of life, whether you're a small child, you need to realize God has a purpose for your life. You need to realize that. Somebody may ask, well, you know, what is my purpose in life? What is God's purpose for my life? Well, first of all, one purpose is that you are to be in Christ Jesus. You know, being in Christ Jesus is where salvation is. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 10. There's no salvation outside of Christ. Salvation is only in Christ. All spiritual blessings are in Christ Jesus. Redemption, justification, hope, sanctification. All these blessings are only in Christ. And of course, we get into Christ by being baptized into Christ. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, Galatians 3 verse 27, have put on Christ. And so God's purpose for you is to be in Christ. But secondly, God's purpose for you is to do good works for him. Ephesians 2 and verse 10 says, we are his workmanship. In other words, we are a tool in the hand of God. We are to bring glory and honor to our creator by how we live and how we go about our daily activities. And that purpose he ordained, was determined even before you were ever conceived. I think about a statement of Paul that brings this point home. Over in Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Notice what Paul said here. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Paul said God had a purpose for his life. And God has a purpose for your life as well. But you know one factor I think that really holds people back from allowing God to use them for his purposes is they really don't understand. We really don't understand the great things that God can do through us. Many people today simply do not understand their value. They don't understand their potential. I think many times people, even us today, we underestimate the abilities that God has blessed us with. We underestimate the great things that God can do through us. Many times people look at themselves and they see their flaws. They see their shortcomings. They look at the past they think about the kind of things that they may have done in the past and, and they begin to think, how could God ever use me to do great things? A tourist one time was walking through the twisted streets of Hong Kong and he came upon a tattoo studio 
And in the window of this tattoo studio were displayed samples of all the tattoos that were available. And, you know, on the chest or the arms, you know, you could have a flag or a mermaid or maybe an anchor or many, many choices there were available for a tattoo. But one tattoo caught the man's attention. And this tattoo simply had three little words. Born to lose. And when the tourist saw that, he entered the tattoo shop and he was astonished and he pointed to those words, born to lose, and he asked the Chinese artist, does anyone really ever have that terrible phrase, born to lose, tattooed on their body? And he replied, yes, they do sometime. And the tourist said, I just can't believe that anybody in their right mind would have those words, born to lose, tattooed on their body. And the Chinese man simply tapped on his head and in broken English he said, before tattoo on body, tattoo on mind. What's the point? The point is how we think is going to determine by and large who we are. And the devil is waging a war for your mind. He wants you to believe today that you have no importance. He wants you to believe today that you have so many flaws that God could simply never use you in his service. God is determined to defeat you mentally because he knows that if he can ever capture your mind, he will capture your soul. And we will not be able to fulfill his purpose for our lives. You see, God told Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I consecrated you. And I appointed you to be a prophet unto all the nations. But Jeremiah said, Ah, Lord God, I can't speak. I'm but a child. You see, Jeremiah had the born to lose mentality tattooed on his mind. And God had to talk to Jeremiah. He had to reprogram his thinking. You know, Jeremiah suffered from something that we might refer to as spiritual nearsightedness. Now, nearsightedness is when we can see close up, but we have a hard time seeing far away. And spiritual nearsightedness is where one sees what they are right now, but they have a very difficult time seeing what they can become in the future with the Lord's help. Spiritually nearsighted people today see problems and they see needs, but they believe they can't do much about that. Oh, I'm too poor. I'm too uneducated. I'm too untalented. I've got too much baggage in the past. You know, there's really not much I can really do for the Lord. But just like Jeremiah, they say, I'm just a child spiritually. I can't do all that much. 
But God says, do not say I'm a child, for you shall go unto all that whom I send you, and whatsoever I command you, you shall speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand, touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. You see, that's exactly the way it is with God. Whatever we lack, God supplies. Wherever we fail, he will fulfill. Where we're lacking, he will provide. It's like a mother one time who took her young son who had been taking piano lessons to a Paderowski concert, one of the great concert pianist who have, has ever lived. Now, I probably wouldn't go across the street to hear this man play, but he truly was one of the great pianists in history. And this mother took her young son to hear this man in concert, and after they were seated, the mother spotted a friend in the audience, and she walked down the aisle to greet her, and of course, seizing the opportunity to explore the wonders of the concert hall, the little boy rose and eventually explored his way even through a door that was marked no admittance. And when the house lights dimmed and the concert was about to begin, the mother returned to her seat and discovered that her son was not there. He was missing. And suddenly the curtains parted and The spotlight focused on the impressive Steinway on stage, and in horror, the mother saw her little boy sitting at the keyboard, innocently picking twinkle, twinkle, little star. At that particular moment, the great piano master made his entrance, and he quickly moved toward the piano, and he whispered in the little boy's ear, you know, don't quit. Keep playing. And then leaning over, Paderowski reached down with his left hand and he began to fill in the bass part. And soon his right arm reached around the little boy and he began to play a running obligato. And together, the old master and the young novice transformed what looked to be a very frightening situation into a wonderfully creative event. Now, folks, that's exactly the way it is with God. What we lack, God provides. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we begin to look at ourselves and we begin to think about what's ahead. We begin to contemplate what's before us and we forget that we're only a tool in the hand of a great Creator. You know, Jesus said in Luke 18 and verse 27, the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. 1 Peter 4 and verse 11 says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Let him do as of the ability which God gives. But we ask the question, How can you do this? How can you be the man or woman that God wants you to be? Well, you have to prepare yourself. 
I love what Paul wrote Timothy over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. He said, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earth. Some to honor, others to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, that is, those things that are dishonorable, he shall be a vessel unto honor, set apart, and ready for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. You see, Ephesians chapter 2 In verse 10, Paul said that our purpose was to be created in Jesus Christ for good works. And here he says to do that, we have to prepare ourselves by cleansing sin from our lives. That simply means that we need to cleanse the way we talk. We need to think about what we say, gossip, slander, negativity, criticism, filthy language, these things need to be removed from our talk. We need to cleanse ourselves from the things that we do that would cause us to be identified with the world, the way we dress, the things that we participate in. We need to think about the places that we go. We need to consider how we treat one another. We need to treat one another better than ourselves. We need to look humbly upon other people as the fact that I'm a servant and your needs and your wants and your desires are far more important than my wants and my desires. In short, we need to be free from sin. And of course, one becomes free from sin By obeying the gospel. When one in simple trusting faith believes that Jesus is the Son of God and is willing to repent of his sins, that individual can be baptized into Christ based upon that confession of your faith in him. And there's where your sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, until we allow ourselves to do this with our lives, we're going to be like the people that I told you about in the very beginning of this lesson. You know, they had an unknown object. They knew it was valuable. They realized that it had no value to them. Its value was only realized by the people that knew what it was. Now, I want you to leave this building this morning realizing that you are valuable. God wants you to realize that you're valuable, that you're more priceless than silver and gold. God made you, but he lost you through sin. Sin separated you from God, and now God offers to buy you back through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And so you see, we have a choice. We have a choice as to whether or not we're going to fulfill the purpose that God has given us. This morning, if you're subject to the invitation, we ask that you come now while we